Today's guest is described as an unapologetically out lesbian with extensive history of leadership in the LGBTQ community. We'll meet her in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I'm very pleased to introduce to you Sheila Alexander-Reed, who is the director of LGBTQ affairs for the mayor's office of Washington, D.C. Sheila, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, Sheila, for those who don't know what LGBTQ stands for, would you tell us? Sure. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer slash questioning affairs is the name of my office. Okay. And if you would, give us a sense of what uh, an average day is like in your office. You're in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Lots of interesting things are going on in the world today as a result of where you are and who's where who's there with you give me an average day is there an average day not really but i can give you a sense of of what i do most of the time um every day is different and so when you're responding to residents needs you know their needs are going to be different and so your work is going to be different but what um what we do in general is um ensure that the community understands the mayor's vision for the district of columbia and ensure that the mayor uh, knows the community's needs as well. So that's sort of the overarching sort of goal. But on a day-to-day level, we help homeless LGBTQ youth find housing. We make sure that um, residents um, who may be um, feeling discriminated against based on their sexual orientation or gender identity um, are connected to the Office of Human Rights because D.C. has really strong protections um, and their Human Rights Act that includes um, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. And, um, you know, in a, in a nutshell, we make sure that uh, the residents have access to all the government resources that anybody else has. And so that could be um, setting up a business. That could be, um, you know, dealing with a property tax. That could be getting your trash picked up. It's, it's, it's dealing with constituent services and needs. You just said that really your job is to help residents in whatever way they need help. So given that sort of broad overview, why is there a need for an office specifically devoted to serving the LGBTQ community? Well, there are several um, offices like mine that that sort of like work with uh, specific communities that have sort of nuanced needs and particular um, um, disparities or just uh, particular sort of um, um, issues that may come up. And so you want somebody who is versed in those um, nuances and needs to, to address them. So I, w- I will talk about um, there may be a particular um, health need. There may be a particular um, business need. There may be a particular public safety need. There may be a particular need uh, regarding housing or employment. So you want to make sure you have somebody competent and, and, and you know, when possible, I think, you know, uh, respected by that community and, and a member of that community to make sure that, you know, 
that their needs are met. You use the the term nuanced needs. A few moments ago, you were talking, giving us an example of some of the things that you do, and one of the things that you uh, indicated was helping homeless LGBTQ youth. Many times, at least from my awareness, LGBTQ youth are homeless because they have come out to their families. Their families have said, oh, no, it isn't so, and then literally kicked them out of the house. Is that what you're finding, or are there other issues around homelessness for the youth? That is the primary reason. Um, if your family doesn't agree with your, it could be, again, sexual orientation, gender identity, which is different from sexual orientation. Uh, you, may be, you may be transitioning from male to female or female to male um, because your, identi- your gender identity um, you know, is such that you you identify with a gender that's not what the doctor assigned at birth. So your family may have a problem with that. Um, they may be religious or they just may not understand. Um, also, gender expression can be one of the reasons why um, a youth may be uh, kicked out of their home. They may not dress according to the gender that they're um, that they were assigned at birth, and so their family may have a problem with that. I mean, it starts with, um, it could be a problem at school. It could be a problem with um, your family's church. It could just be a a family member in general. But um, it is usually um, um, family-related. And sometimes a child may be kicked out. Sometimes a child may run away from home if it's not a safe space. So whatever the reason, you know, they, they need they need assistance and we help with emergency housing. We help with transitional housing, which is uh, a way that they may be in an 18 month program where they're housed kind of like a pseudo independent living, but they get 18 months in there either in school or in, in employment. And so that, that enables them to get some stability. And then ultimately, you know, we, you want to see them transfer to permanent housing. One of the, um, questions that I would ask of you. Um, you know that here at Mind Talk we talk about relationships and mental health. And I'm thinking about the impact of the emotional well being on that youth who has been removed, thrown out of their home for reasons that they didn't create. Um how that impacts the youth and what you might say to the parents. Hmm. Well, it puts that youth at risk. Let me just point that out because um, uh, when you uh, don't have support at home, um, you may look, you're going to look for it elsewhere. And sometimes um, that outside support doesn't have your best um your best uh, welfare and in mind, so it it really makes you sort of um, um, at risk to be preyed upon. It, it puts you at a at, um, usually results in some sort of depression. Um, and imagine uh, being homeless and depressed. And, and um, usually, if you're young, uh, you probably don't have any. Um, um, skill sets for um, to be employed, 
And so really you're at the mercy of others. And I think that in, that has an impact on your self-esteem and, and ultimately your, your welfare. And so I, what we do is, you know, you first, you want to make sure that, um, we don't want to put anybody back in, in their home if it's not a safe and um, supportive space. So I think first we do is get them off the street, and that's what the emergency um, beds are for. And then, you know, they, um, they should be assigned a, a caseworker to look into their situation. But what what I will say is um, if, if I have the opportunity to talk to a parent, I will say that, you know, um, just as your sexual orientation um, wasn't a choice, um, your child's sexual orientation isn't isn't their choice. And just as your gender identity wasn't a choice, their gender identity isn't a choice. And at the end of the day, nobody would put themselves through this, um, uh, I would say, this situation of being um, estranged from their family, being bullied at school, um, being terrorized on the streets, nobody would put themselves through that experience unless they were actually, um, um, you know, feeling that was their true identity and that their true expression, um, because it is um, putting yourself at risk in, may, in many instances. And so I try to um, explain it that way. So um, it's not a, a blame game. And it's not a, a religious conversation. It's it's sort of like a a heart to heart conversation. Um, you you know your child, and um, and hopefully you love your child. And so I would say get to know your child and try to have a conversation and understand why they feel the way they feel, um, and and understand that this is not um, have anything to do with you. A lot of parents think they they've done something wrong or. Or they or their child has done something wrong, and neither one of those is true. This child is just trying to be themselves, and um, and what we would hope that as a parent you would do is support that child in the best way possible. If um, Sheila, if they came to you for help for another instance, you would help them. So just think of this as as another um, sort of just regular need for help and support. Just kind of part of the parenting process. Sheila Alexander-Reed, the director of LGBTQ Affairs for the Mayor's Office of Washington, D.C. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Sheila, you talked about um, homelessness for LGBTQ youth. You were also involved in uh, a project that is specifically designed for the elderly. Why do elderly LGBTQ persons need housing, which is what you're dealing with, that is specifically geared towards them? 
um, what people don't realize is that um, a lot of the systems um, that are set up for the elderly are set up um, for heterosexual um, elders and not really um, keeping in mind that uh, a couple that may come into a assisted living facility uh, may be uh, a same-sex couple or um, uh, or maybe even a single person going to a facility uh, may have a same-sex um, partner visiting them or um, same-sex um, um, relationship. Uh, their child might be in a same-sex relationship. So a lot of these facilities um, have existed for years um, and were created, um, you know, years ago when um, homosexuality was a crime. So um, I think we what we what we found is that a lot of seniors have, have um opted to go back in the closet in order to um to be accepted and to be even um admitted into some of these facilities and of course that takes a toll on your mental health and not only that but what what is what does that do for the people who are unwilling to go back in the closet where will they go so a lot of um LGBT seniors are estranged from their families or they may Um, not have kids um, to rely on to take care of them in their old age. And so where would they go, particularly if they're not welcome at these uh, assisted living facilities as they are, as their authentic selves? So they they have to, you know, decide do they go back in the closet or do they have to try to um, live on some sort of meager um, income um, that puts them living at substandard um, uh, facilities and substandard levels of, of, of care. And I think that we shouldn't have to um, make that choice. I think that um, assisted living facilities and um, elder, uh, elderly, any kind of elderly care should be culturally competent and they have to um, be brought up to speed and understand it's 2019 and um, there's a certain level of uh, of standards that everybody deserves and, and seniors that are LGBTQ are no different than any other seniors. You work clearly for the mayor's office here in Washington, D.C. Yes. Is there a similar, are there similar offices across the country Is or is your office unique? Uh, we are unique in that um, D.C. is is rated uh, number one as far as um, protections and rights for the LGBTQ community, but we are not the only office um, that that works um, in a, for the mayor um, that represents the LGBTQ community. I think there's probably there's at least um, six that I know of, but there may be some that I don't know of. So I think these are um, becoming. Um, uh, uh, I would say more and more popular, depending on how um, how strong a voice the community has in that jurisdiction. I think it starts off by making sure that you get um, officials that are elected that that care about you and recognize your, that your community exists, and then um, it's much easier to say, "Well, we would like some representation at the highest level." Just like you know, there's a in D.C. we have a Office of Latino Affairs, we have Office of um, Asian Pacific Islander Affairs, Religious Affairs, Veterans Affairs. So why would not there be an LGBTQ affairs? I mean, each one of those um, communities has 
um, unique needs that that need to be addressed. Are you saying that there are six or seven offices similar to yours across the country? At least. That's all? At least. That's it? At least. There may be 10. Wow. If I was, <laughs> if I was to guess, but there is still a, uh, it's still like finding a unicorn. They're uh, not very common. Uh, it, it sounds like that. Let me ask you a question. But about- you understand DC has the largest LGBT self-identified, um, um, community in the country. So it's, it is a no brainer that we should have this office. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me ask you a question. How mm-hmm. do you identify? Let me ask you a question about yourself. How do you identify? Are you African-American? Are you a woman? Are you a lesbian? How do you, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I would say yes to all three of those. I see an African-American lesbian. And does... And I, and I can't separate the three. Okay. Or the the woman and the and the lesbian. I can't and the African American. I can't separate those three. <clears throat> Each of those identities, all by themselves, certainly have experience and experience discrimination. So when you experience yourself as all three, what does that say about your exposure uh, to discrimination? That is the consummate. Um, definition of intersectionality right it's being discriminated against on multiple levels on one level you're already at a um at a disadvantage for being a woman it is it is this country is set up on a patriarchal model so women are second class to men there there's that and then you have the race um issue um black people are not considered um on the same level as um as white people. And so that's, so, so now you're also discriminated on, on that as well as the gender issue. And then you add another layer of sexual orientation in which, um, while we have made a lot of inroads on, um, gender bias and, um, racial equity, you know, I would say we still got a long way to go as far as sexual orientation, and really on far as all three. So that is the the definition of intersectionality is being discriminated against on multiple levels for um, different different reasons, for different sort of um, issues. And so I see myself as somebody who is um, rather privileged given the fact that I I do have um, sort of um, uh, this uh, intersectional... um, uh, discrimination um, being placed upon me. Um, I rise above it each and every day as best I can, and I go out in the, and try to make the world a better place for others like me and for others who are not like me. I spend a lot of time talking to um, people about their privilege and getting them to understand their privilege and how to use their privilege for the good of those who do not have it. You know, a lot of work is done in the marginalized um community but you really have to speak to the privileged community as well to 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 actually sort of have a meeting of the mind and to move the needle much faster how how i hope i answered your question i don't even remember you said (laughs) how do i wake up i wake up as sheila the black lesbian on a mission every day every day Mm -hmm. how how different is the world 
for a white lesbian versus a black lesbian? Is it significantly different? Well, I can't say for sure, but I dare say it is significantly different. You know, you can always hide the, the whole lesbian piece, but, you you know, I can't hide my black piece, right? So I can't go into the uh, black, uh, the closet uh, as far as being black. So that, um, that uh, sort of um, discrimination um, uh, is coming at me from the minute I, you know, I walk out of the door sometimes based on just how I appear to, and, and how other people feel about that. I could, of course, hide my gayness, uh, but I can't hide my, my race, and I can't, um, I don't, would not hide my gender. So there's that. Um, so I think that, um, I think there's sort of like a totem pole, if you will, of, um, of hierarchy. I think it starts with white men, um, then white women, and then black men, and then black women and then Latino men and then Latino women. Uh, and uh, I would say I put Asian Pacific Islanders somewhere in the middle uh, between um, probably um, black and and white. But I do say that the, the, the black and brown women are at the bottom of the totem pole. And so that is something that um, that needs to be addressed. And that's something that, you know, we work hard to to sort of um, set a level playing field each and every day. And then it is a struggle. But I think that um, D.C. is a model for for, um, for what the world could look like if people are treated equally. And so that's what we're trying to, you know, take these rights that we have in D.C. and, and you know, make them work with national organizations so that, so that this model can spread. You know, we have a black female mayor who's now serving a second term is unheard of in, in, in D.C. She's the first um, black female mayor to um, be reelected. And so I think that these are sort of the things that show you what is possible when you work hard and you dream big. And when you turn to yourself, I would say, to pull out those resources and that energy that in a lot of ways and a lot of times and a lot of places others would seek to um, dampen. Sheila, we're going to take a break. Yeah, I think I talk a lot. I talk a lot about privilege, and I and I have to acknowledge my own each and every time as well. Absolutely, and that helps people see there that that they don't have to be alone. Sheila, we're going to take exactly. a break, and when we come back, we will continue, folks. This is Pamela. Brewer. Thank you. You are listening to Mind Talk, and I'm having a conversation with Sheila Alexander Reed, the director of LGBTQ affairs for the Mayor's Office of Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We'll be right back. you are the founder of something called Women in the Life. What is that? Women in the Life, L-I-F-E. Um, it's a, a, a black lesbian organization that I started in the 90s. It started off as a, as a, social, um, uh, ev- a social sort of um, event um, management company. 
And then it um, also included a magazine. We printed 96 issues, of a course, between 1993 and, I believe, um, 2003. And then after that, it segued into a nonprofit and became Women in Life Association, which is a um, social justice organization. So I went from social events to social justice. And it... um, and now I am just uh, uh, on the board of the organization, but it it, um, it kind of went down and became in, uh, inactive for a few years and has since come back up um, uh, when the current administration was elected into the White House. And why was there... Because a- we saw the need. We, why? Because we saw a need for social justice like never before. You know, we, we saw... Uh, a future where our rights may be rolled back, and I dare say that um, uh, that vision is coming true, unfortunately, where we're seeing um, uh, a lot of proposed um, um, ideologies that would take us back uh, as far as being women, as far as being people of color, and as far as being... um, um, uh, members of the LGBTQ community. I mean, uh, in, in some um, some sense, I feel like, you know, we're under assault. And so I believe that that's why women in the life needed to come back. Um, you know, it's. I think when we got marriage equality, some people thought that, you know, we were, we had arrived um, and everything was going to be uh, uh, great from here on out. Not And not anticipating the fact that when you get sort of um, per, uh, when you get sort of um, movement on one side, there's usually some um, pushback, and I think that that we're we're feeling um, the pushback now, and I think it caught a lot of people sleeping, and so uh, women in life is is sort of waking up um, the black lesbian and black queer uh, women communities to say you need to stand up and speak out, <clears throat> or you will be erased. The idea of standing up and speaking out, and I take this back to those whose families have um, really isolated them uh, from the family and and maybe from the social environment connected to the family. The idea of standing up and speaking out, on the one hand, makes an incredible amount of sense and can actually add to one's self-concept. On the other hand, standing up and speaking out didn't serve them well with their family. How should they think about standing up and speaking out now? At the end of the day, <clears throat> it's the type of thing, it's it's not something that everybody can afford to do. And I understand that. It's it's much like coming out, you know. Uh I'm not I'm not the coming out police. I can't tell you when it when to come out. You have to come out when it's safe for you to come out. And just like that, you need to stand up and speak up when it's safe for you to come out, uh, safe for you to speak out. However, if you can't speak out, I think there are other things that you can do to support those who are speaking out. So, <clears throat> and at some point, you have to ask yourself, um, what is it costing you when you don't speak out? Yeah. You know, we it, it, it takes a, I think when you, when people are in the have to go back in the closet or in the closet or have to diminish themselves to make others feel good that that eats away at them a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time and I think that that that's a cost that um, I dare say you really need to um, weigh and decide if um, if it's worth it and if you need help speaking out and speaking up 
and or coming out, there are resources that can help you. Sheila, unfortunately, our time today has pretty much slipped away, but for those who would like to continue this conversation with you, is there a way for them to be in touch? Sure. Um, I'm here every day, 9 to 5. The Mayor's Office of LGBTQ Affairs is in Washington, D.C., but we um, have been um, contacted by other people from around the world who want to know about how we got, you know, to where we are as far as our um, rights and protections and how we can help others get there as well. Uh, the number to our office is 202-727-9493. Again, that's 202-727-9493. And our email is lgbtqdc at, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, lgbtq at dc.gov. Okay. All right. Sheila. Sorry. That's perfectly fine. Thank you for the correction. I hope that we will be able to continue this conversation, but I do thank you so much for joining us today here on Mind Talk. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. All righty. And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you as an educational public service. It is not intended to interfere or alter with any services that you may choose to use that are of use to you. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch, you can email me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot org. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. (laughs) 